Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. How y'all doing today? Welcome to church. We're glad you're here. And uh, welcome to uh, our first Sunday of our new series of 2022. Anybody excited to step in to 2022 with full expectation what God has in store? And uh, even though it's full of the unknown, we might not know what to expect. We know that we can expect of God every good and perfect work and every good thing because that is just who he is. We're coming off of our week of prayer and fasting, and what a way to start the new year. And it was just such an encouragement to see so many people involved each night uh, during our our prayer and fasting. And I got to be honest with you, what was uh, so encouraging and a highlight was hearing the stories of people who who were stepping out for the first time. For some, even participate in fasting. For some, coming to a prayer meeting. Uh, for some, even praying and, and being a part of that process. Uh, if it feels like no big deal, um, then it's something that God wants you to step into something more because uh, how many know it should always be a big deal to, to walk in the presence of God, to be in the presence of God? This is not a no big deal thing. How many know this is a life-changing thing, a life-transforming, setting course, and uh, it was just a great great week. And uh, here we are uh, in our first uh, Sunday of our our new series. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 16, and uh, we're going to center around a verse that we'll find there uh, as we look at that together. But uh, I want to kick off a series that we've called A Great Expanse. It was back in October. Uh, Our team, we we typically in the uh, early fall or uh, try to, to set aside time just getting together to, to pray and, and uh, plan for what 2022, the new year, would have. And as we got together in October, this word was just on my heart. It was expanse. And uh, I, I realized that, uh, you know, we, we look at, at something as uh, expanse. And in my mind, it was this, there's opportunity and something more that, that God wants to do. We, we, of course, did some planning, came back a couple weeks uh, to that word and, and uh, some planning some more. And this time with a definition that we had found. And one of the definitions that we found really made a connection between Expanse and River Wake. And the, the uh, definition was this, that Expanse is an uninterrupted flow. It's an uninterrupted flow of land, of space, or of water. That it's an uninterrupted flow that when you look at an Expanse, there's nothing that's obstructing that for far off you can see. And of course, we recognize that Monongahela, as we know in our, in our area, our community, it borders the, the western part of, of Fayette County. The word Monongahela means falling banks. And we just sense that God was calling the things that would hinder to, be, to fall, the strongholds fall, that there would be a move of his spirit. And when expanse means an uninterrupted flow, that we believe that God has opened a door. And literally, this is the text that I want to look at today. I believe that in 2022, God has opened a great door of ministry up for you and I, for the church, not just here at Faith Assembly, but for the body of Christ as we near the return of Jesus Christ in these days that I believe God is doing even greater things, that we would be people ready to walk into the expanse, to walk into the new new things that God is preparing and what he's making possible. In 1 Corinthians 16 is where I want to look, and we're going to set up the first part of this just to, to give a, a little bit of the, the key verse that we're going to build this series around, but then I'm going to read a little further and uh, just to kick off today with uh, just this challenge for us. How many are ready to be challenged? How many already challenged? I don't know how you interpret that, but life sometimes has moments that it's challenging and we've got 
challenges, but oh God, cause us to be challenged in the purpose that you have for us today. Would you stand with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 16? I want to look at verse 5 as we begin this. And this is Paul. He's writing uh, to the church, of course, in Corinth. He's writing from Ephesus. He's in Ephesus during his third, uh, his third uh, uh, missionary journey. So he has uh, different points that he's traveled with different people uh, in sharing the gospel. He is on his final journey, his third missionary journey. He's in the middle of it, and he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, he's writing it because there have been those who traveled to Ephesus to meet him, and they brought questions from the church of Corinth. And Paul's addressing those questions, and before he sends them out, he concludes his letter that he's writing. In verse 5, it says this, I am coming to visit you in Corinth uh, after I have been to Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while. If the Lord will let me. How many know the key word that Paul said, if the Lord will let me? Because we know from this, this was Paul's desire and Paul's plan, but we know from history, Paul didn't get to make it back there as he desired. How many have found out that not everything goes the way we plan? Even for Paul, Paul said, I, if the Lord wills, if it be the Lord's desire, how many know we hold loosely to what we plan and ultimately say to God, your will be done, not my will, but your will be done. It's your, I'm your life, I'm your heart, I'm your desire, everything I am is unto you. This is your church, we're your people, this is your community, this is your working. We hold loosely, it's God's that we trust. Paul says these words, if it's the Lord's will. And we recognize that even when things don't go as planned, we trust the Lord in the outcome. And verse 8 says, in the meantime, while I'm still here, in the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. And here's the verse, 9. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. I believe this is the word for us in 2022, that there is a wide open door of ministry for us. And you say, well, what about the part of people oppose, or, or of even though there's there are those who oppose, we are always going to have opposition. Doesn't matter where we go, there is a wide open door of opportunity. I want you to jump down to verse 13. And this is a part I want to look at today. There's a wide open door of opportunity. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Somebody say amen. Yeah, be be on guard. Be Stand firm, be faithful, be courageous. Verse 15, you know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of the believers in Greece, and they are spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. Oh my goodness, he put a bad word submit in there. I can't believe he, well, he put it in there anyway, so we'll come back and look at that. Submit to them who serve with such devotion. I am very glad that Stephanus, Fortunus, and Archaicus have come here. They have been providing the help you weren't able to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me as they have been to you all. You must show your appreciation to all who serve so well. Father, thank you that a great door of ministry is open to us. We believe, oh God, for this great expanse, this great opportunity. Lord, you're calling us to go in places we've never gone before. Lord, I pray that you would order our steps. God, that you would help us to be in right relationship with you and with one another, even as we shared in communion. Oh God, let us walk in the fulfillment of that word, of that truth. 
Help us to be one. Help us to be unto you. Help us to be one to another for your purpose that we might discover the greater things that you have. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that today, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. On your way to being seated, just tell your neighbor, let's go where we've never gone before. I don't know if that brings back some uh, trekky memories for some of you uh, where no man has gone before. Obviously, back in the 50s, I guess that was, but then they had to change it in the 80s because there were not just men on that ship going, so where no one has gone before, and uh, that God would take us where no one has, where we have never been before. I want to share from this title today, The Core of Discovery. Um, If uh, you've been around here, you know I enjoy history. Um, I would not qualify myself as a history buff. I just enjoy the stories of history, and here's why I enjoy the stories of history, because it's just evidence of God's hand upon our lives, upon our world, and God's working. All history is God's story of what he's been putting together. In uh, 1803, Thomas Jefferson, the president, uh, had this this, uh, process. He was in negotiations trying to purchase land from France, and this land laid just west of the Mississippi, a place where they had not explored before. They had only been to the Mississippi, and while he is trying to gain this land, he wanted to purchase it because France had taken over the land again, and France was desiring to reestablish their place. They lost it in the French and Indian War, and they were looking to get it back, and so they had this land that had come back to them. They wanted it. America wanted it. Thomas Jefferson made an offer, and for $15 million, bought all of the Louisiana Purchase, the whole territory of Louisiana, which was double the size of the existing America at the time. And so Thomas Jefferson makes this agreement, but even before the deal is sealed, even before it all happens, he taps the shoulder of a young assistant of his who had recently stepped in to serve as a personal secretary. This young man was Mary Meriwether Lewis. Meriwether Lewis was from the military. He served, and he's now in Jefferson's office serving as a personal assistant. He taps his shoulder and asks Meriwether Lewis to lead an expedition to lead a team to explore the Louisiana Purchase, this area west of the Mississippi, to go from the Mississippi all the way to the Pacific. Even though they had not yet acquired that land, they wanted to explore. Even though it was not yet there, I guess by faith, to explore. And so here it is, Meriwether Lewis, who's 27 years old at the time, he taps the shoulder of a friend of his who they served in the military together. In fact, he was under him as his captain, and his captain's name was William Clark. He asked William Clark if he would go on this expedition to be with him. This man, Clark, now lived lived in Kentucky, and one of the reasons he was interested in William Clark being a part of his expedition is that Clark had explored already the wilderness of Kentucky. How many know Kentucky still has some wildernesses? There are other places around there. There's areas. This was as remote and as exotic as the place became for the country at that time. It was if you went to Kentucky, you went to no man's land. If you went into areas of Kentucky, and so here it was that William Clark had explored much of that, and so they get together, and They put a team together and they set off even before the deal was sealed. They put the team together, but right after, early in May, middle of May of 1804, they left everything they had and they went on a journey not knowing. They knew what the goal was. The goal was to explore, to map, to make ready, to put, to put in some perspective and give some idea of what lies beyond the Mississippi. They knew what their job was, but they had no idea it would take two years to do it. 
They had no idea they would trek over 8,000 miles, that they would go by boat, leaving boat with some, some Native Americans that they, they built relationship with, borrowing horses to go the rest of the way, hiking mountains, going into a great unknown to open the door to something for America to move forward, to move into more. I believe that just as America had vision then to double, that there's a God who still wants to give his church vision to see more, to see greater. That even as Elisha said to Elijah, I want a double portion. I want more. The God who wants us to have more, God is not done using his church in these days. What he's done in the past is evident because you can see most hospitals, as you know, that are established have either a saint in front of them or have some name that's associated with church, either Mercy or Presbyterian or something that's affiliated with the church. Why? Because the church led the way to showing healing and mercy and, and showing provision. God is equipping the church, I believe, in an hour and in the day that we in the church should be of the world or in the world but not of the world. We should be people who are in the world but of a whole different spirit, that we are to be encouraged and influenced, that we ought to be people who receive from God great ideas. Thank God for what we have and what God has given, but I believe God wants to inspire and move people who are a part of the church to walk into new places and to not just let things as they are to make them better than they've ever been before. I thank God for the systems and structures that we have in place. I thank God that there's a welfare system. I thank God that there's resources and things that serve in our community. Oh, but I'm convinced that God wants to give ideas and vision and perspective to his church to step out into new places and not just do what's been done, but to show the world a whole different way how to do it in the power, in the anointing, and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. I believe God wants his church to lead the way. I believe God wants the church to step in to those opportunities. You have business, you have influence, you have relationship, but you don't have what you have just so you can have what you have. You have what you have because he opened a door that you might open up the door to something greater. He opened the door that you might explore and discover and take people along. And when you take people along, guess what you do? You build other people up and now they explore, they discover. And now it becomes this shared opportunity that not just someone at the top feeding someone at the bottom, but someone who's been given something of resource bringing other people along. And now we all rise like ships in the water when the tide comes in. Everybody rises together. Why? Because the wealth comes from the Lord and it adds no sorrow with it. That God's provision of what he's made possible, that we're to walk in opportunity. He's given us things to explore. He's given us new opportunities and things that we can step into. I believe God wants to give his church in this day ideas of how to serve the poor even better than the welfare system can do it. I'm not putting down a system. I'm just saying every system has its limitations and it becomes a place that is not able to fully accomplish what it's set out to do. But I believe God is still able to inspire and give opportunity and speak to our hearts and cause resources to flow that we can find better ways to do what's already being done. That we can find better ways to do it. I believe God still wants some hospitals to be raised up like he did Long ago, when the church said, we'll show how to, how to meet the needs. We'll show how to, how to not just be a part of. And what we've had, I know this might be a risky statement, but the problem with the church, forgive me, the problem with the church. I hate when people start with that statement, and I just said it. So forgive me. But sometimes the problem is we try to use the world's resources to change the world when the only thing that will change the world 
is the power of God. So instead of us using what the world has, we allow God to use us and he empowers us to work through what the world has. That it's God who, it's not a political party. It's not a resource. It's not an agenda. It's not anything but the kingdom of God. If my people who are called by my name, if we will be the people that God has called. Now that doesn't mean to just pray and never do anything. It means to pray while we do what God has put in our hands to do. It means to pray while we, while we work in the place that God has placed us to work. It's, it means to pray while we run the business. God has given us the business. While we raise the children, God has given us to raise. It means to, to pray, to have the attitude of prayer in preparation. Say, God, how can I recreate, reinvent, and allow something to be even better than it's been before? Not that I can be known for making it better, but that I can make you known because you've given us a better way of doing what's taking place in our world. How many believe God wants the church to be set apart. And when we say set apart, I don't just believe that means the church is good, the world is bad. I, yeah, the church needs to walk in righteousness, absolutely set apart under righteousness. But how many believe as well, it's not just set apart so we can be better than the church, it's set apart so we can lead, or better than the world, it's set apart so we can lead the world. I want you to catch that. Because for, for, for a long time, set apart mean, meant be better than. Set apart does not mean better than. Set apart means to lead. Set apart does not mean better than. I'm not set apart from the world because they do bad things and I don't. I'm better than they are. That's too much. We've limited what set apart means. We ought to naturally be different than the world because we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, made new by the power of his spirit. We ought to naturally be different. That's just natural. That, that, that's just the byproduct of being in relationship with Jesus. Set apart doesn't mean to be better than the world. Set apart means to be in position to lead the world, okay? And I believe in this great expanse. God put us in a place where we're not people who are set apart to say, well, look down our nose at somebody because we don't do what they do or we're not what they are, but that we would take a hold and lead and grab by the hand and encourage and bring people along. These, this group that left in May of 1804, they were called by, the, by the, uh, the army at that time, the Corps of Discovery. Lewis and Clark took their team of 40, 41 individuals and they explored the land where no, one, no American had ever gone before. And this Corps of Discovery walked into new things. What I want to say to us today is, God, let us be a part of a Corps of Discovery that will walk with each other and to discover the favor, the goodness, the blessings, and the great things of God. That we would not just exist as we've been, but we would go where we've never gone before. Does that resonate with anybody? Oh God, let us be a core of discovery in our day. What's interesting is that Lewis and Clark boarded a boat that was made along the Monongahela River. They boarded a boat made in our area in Western Pennsylvania along the Monongahela River, took that boat to the Mississippi after going through Pittsburgh and Ohio River out to Mississippi and then met in, at the Missouri River where St. Louis, which that arch in St. Louis is not just a great architectural piece. It is literally the gateway to the West because from there, an expedition, people stepped out to explore 
what has never been seen before, to do what has never been done before. What I pray today is God, let us be a core of discovery to believe you, to to believe God, to lead our businesses like never before, to see our families like never before, to see healing, to see hope, to see strength, to see restoration, to see like never before. Is there anybody with me this morning? God, make us a part of a core of discovery. I want you to know the importance of having people in our lives. It's the importance of being around the right people, because if you're not around the right people, it will hinder you going in the right direction. So having a core of discovery, the right people on the team, I'm going to talk about having the right people being the right people. Um, The evidence or the essence of the depth of your spiritual walk is revealed by the people you surround yourself with. If you want to know, if you want to be a, a description of how well are we moving forward, it's who do you surround yourself with? Who is, who is around you and who is, who is surrounding you? Because you will always become what you surround yourself with. The, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul is encouraging Timothy, the young man in the faith. I love that Paul had Timothy. Who's yours? I love that he was, always, he, he was looking to impart and to invest and to raise up. He, he had Timothy. He said to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. Don't get caught up in the things of youth. Which, by the way, that doesn't mean youth is bad. It just means youth. Don't let it be wasted. Don't waste the youth. And, and I want to say to all the teenagers in the room, whoever told you that the teenage years are the years to, and maybe you didn't even hear this before, but it's the, it's the, it's the expectation that we just go crazy and go wild and then eventually grow up. Can I just warn you? I've watched some people who still haven't grown up, so don't take that route, all right? Because it's not working for some. I mean, they're in their 40s, and they still haven't grown up. You know what I mean? They still haven't, haven't gotten things. Your teenage years aren't your years to waste time before you grow up. The teenage years are the years to really invest so that you know how to grow up and so you can step in. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But when I became a man, he didn't say when I became a teenager, he said, when I became a man, you go from being a child to being a man, to being, to being a child, to being a woman, to be, being an adult. Don't waste the years that God has put in your life to set a course for where God wants to take you. I want you to know, this I can say as my testimony, I do not regret the years of my teenage giving my life to Jesus and walking in the purpose and the path that he has for me. I do not regret that God has given me blessing. I don't regret that I didn't have to, I used to think, man, I don't have a good story. You know, I wasn't strung out on drugs. I didn't sleep with a whole bunch of people. Now, that's not at all me saying I'm better because none, I mean, no pride and arrogance and into all that stuff can be the same problem. My whole point is this, that by the grace of God, I used to think, well, my story's not good like everybody else's. You know what my story is? My story is God in his sovereignty has kept me in along the way. Though my feet have fallen, he's never let me fall off the path. He has always kept me. Though I've tripped, he's always sustained me. He's kept me. He's pro- I want you to know God will prosper you. It starts with sound, surrounding yourself with the right people. Paul said to Timothy, he said, flee the youthful desires of the flesh or the desires of the youth and instead pursue righteousness, peace, and joy along with those who call out to God with a pure heart. He's emphasizing, make sure you run after people or run with people who are running with God in the right heart. Are you running with people who have the right heart? Another place Paul says to the the church in Corinth, he he tells them, "Don't don't be fooled, don't be misled by people who say things like this. And what were they saying? They were saying things like, hey, Let's eat and drink because tomorrow we die. Let's just do whatever we want to do today because tomorrow we just die. Don't get caught up in a world that says just live for yourself, do for yourself, be for yourself, whatever you want, just live your life because it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. Don't get caught up in that because Paul says these words. He said because bad company corrupts good character. 
And so it's important who we surround ourselves with and who we are and who we let in our lives in this surrounding. Now, does that mean we don't have relationship with people and that we don't serve people? Absolutely not. But in our core, who's in your core? Here's some questions I wanna ask you today to identify who's in your core. Number one, who's challenging you? Who is in your life that is able to challenge you? Because if there's someone not able to challenge you, then the, the, the concern there is that no one gets to correct you. No one gets to call you out or gets to say to you, hey, you need to call this to attention. Now, in order to be challenged, nothing ever happens without being challenged. No, nothing ever took place until it was challenged. There's always a challenge that gives way to an opportunity. But if you're gonna be challenged, it means you have to have the ability to, be, to have submission, to submit to one another. We oftentimes don't like submission. We don't like people challenging or people uh, saying things that we might need to hear differently because we get defensive and we allow things to rise up. I was the oldest of six, and being the oldest of six means my parents had built-in childcare. That's what being the oldest of six means. And so when mom and dad would go somewhere, it was my job to watch my siblings. Uh, This was assumed but never directed, and I know that because my sister, who was about four years younger than me, we all had a task. Everybody had a job. My job was to vacuum. We did it every day. I met Jody and found out that she vacuumed at her house once a week. I'm like, what? My mom made me do it every single day. And so my daughter has a, like Snapchat. She'll send it to her friends. Dad's at it again. It's just, it's just a thing that's been in me and instilled. And one, when, when I would, as the, as the young junior hire, I watched the, my siblings. It was my job to make, every, make sure everything was happening. So when mom and dad came home, it was all good. Everything was done. My sister had a chore. Everybody had a chore. I said to my sister, Tracy, I said, Tracy, you've got to do this before mom and dad get home. And Tracy, every time, this was her response, you're not my boss. <laughs> do you know how much I wanted to lay, actually, forgive me. Do you know how many times I laid hands on her? Uh, <laughs> not spiritual hands. Um, I tried to control. It's sibling, right? I mean, it's my sister. She was a, she, she was a, she's a, she was a treat. And um, uh, bless the Lord, she's now saved and she has children. And how many know you reap what you sow? She's got a daughter. You're not my butt. You're welcome. That's what that's like. And every time Tracy would say, you're not my boss, it was this, it was her saying, you can't tell me what to do. I wonder if that attitude gets into our American individualism or independence. You can't tell me what to do. You're not my boss. If you're not under authority, then you're not at a place of having new discovery because you'll never discover if no one has the opportunity to challenge you to move into places you've never been. You'll always stay and remain where you are unless someone has the privilege of giving you some course correction. You have to be under authority, under covering under someone's authority. I, 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 I have the honor and the privilege of being the pastor of this church, and I recognize the responsibility, what we stand before God to give an account, but I have put myself under authority. Not only the authority of Christ, but there are other people that I have submitted myself to them and said, you are my covering, you're my, my brother in Christ, and so you have the opportunity. I want you to look at me. I want you to be honest with me. I want you to tell me if we don't have people who can tell us. Paul says this in the, in the, the verse that we read. He says, be courageous, be strong, 
be, be faithful. He, he says all of this that we're supposed to be, and in this word of being courageous, he says to be strong and do everything in love. This word courageous, it really is interesting how it translates in the Greek. The word courageous that Paul uses, Paul says, be a man. Okay, women, we don't want you doing that, all right? Uh, what, what Paul is saying is not just be a man by gender. He's talking to those who are men, who are of leaders in this situation. But what he's saying to them is not be a gender. He's saying to them, be what you're supposed to be. Be what you're supposed, you are created by God to make decisions, to lead, to walk in the right direction. Be what you're created to be. I'm not saying to you today in, in being courageous that according to gender. I'm saying to you today, whether you are male or female, be courageous. Be what God called you to be. Be the leader, be the head of your home, be the influencer, be the person who speaks up. Don't turn a blind eye. Don't let the things fall apart. Speak up in the love of Christ. Paul says this elsewhere. He says that we're to speak the truth in love, that we need to be people who confront, that we have to have the opportunity. There need to be people in our lives to tell us we've got a bad attitude if we've got a bad attitude. And we've got to be able to say to them, who do you not say to them, who do you think you are? You're not my boss. You think you're better than me. No, but to be able to say, hey, would you pray with me? Would you, would you help me? Would you, yeah, that's something by God's grace and people that we can link together. Who's challenging you? Because if no one's challenging you, you'll always be left to your own devices. How I many know that's a dangerous place? And all you have are a bunch of cheerleaders going the whole way. Way to go. Noting us for all the good we've done, but not challenging us in the spiritual things that need to be corrected and things that need to be set in order. Who's challenging you? Here's number two, who's encouraging you? To encourage means to come alongside. When you encourage somebody, it means to, to build up. You literally walk alongside them and you invest in them. Who's encouraging you? Who is it that, that speaks words of encouragement? Now, let me just put these together, that there are some people who are good at challenging, but not good at encouraging. If you are a person who likes to challenge people, you better also be a person who likes to encourage people. Because if you don't know how to encourage people, then you don't know how to challenge either. You just know how to be a critic. You just, you just know how to be a nuisance. You just, need, you just know how to be a fault finder and a problem maker and a divider and just somebody who likes to create issues. Well, I'm just doing my godly duty of just challenging people. But you've never built anybody up. You, you can't challenge if you don't know how to encourage. One of the things that I've tried to practice, because I am by nature a critic, okay? I, I'm, a, I'm a slight perfectionist. I'm critic. I, I don't want to be critical. I don't want to be a critical person. I don't want to have a critical personality. I don't want to be a critic, but I recognize that there are things I will look at things and I will critique. It's just by nature who I am. And so I have trained myself that anytime I can learn to find, not learn because it doesn't take much. How many know us critics, we don't have to, we, when we critique things, how many know we don't have to look hard? Anybody else in the room going to be honest? Are there any other critiquers? I don't want to call them critics. I mean, just, we, we like to critique things, all right? Come on, be honest. So it might be a way to, I'm, I'm being humble. No, you're not. You're lying. That's a, you're not being humble. You're not, just being, you're not being honest. We, we like to critique. Listen, it, I don't think we need to throw away having the critique, but what I had to learn was it's not enough to critique. If I could find something to criticize, then I better also be able to find something, at least two things to build up. If I don't have two things to build up, then I don't have one thing to tear down. If I don't have two things to build up, then I have no thing to tear down. Because if I, don't, if I don't build up more than I tear down, then I'm really not doing the work that God's called me to do. I'm just tearing down. I'm being divisive. I'm making problems. I'm 
being, how many know we don't need any more of that in the world, let alone the church? The world's already good at that. So let the world do what the world does. Let's lead to something different. And so encouraging is, is this, uh, this ability to, to encourage one another. First Thessalonians says this, as Paul's speaking to the church in Thessaloniki, he tells them how to prepare for the Lord's coming because it's gonna draw near. Like a thief in the night, he's going to come. And Paul ends that section and he says, so encourage one another and build one another up as you're already doing. This is what he's saying to them, the, the purpose and the goal. How, how do we prepare for the Lord's coming? You build each other up. Why? Because the Lord's coming is all about helping people get closer to Jesus Christ. And so we build one another up. Who's building you up? Who are you building up? Here's the last one. Not only are we people that, that, in, that challenge, we encourage, but who's carrying you? Who's carrying you in your moments of weakness? In your moments when it's difficult? Who comes along to help carry you? Here are the people that Paul is speaking of. He says that he's got a group that comes and he extols them and says they've been a great encouragement and a help to me. Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaicus. These three individuals came from Corinth and they came to be a help to Paul. They came to be in that place. Yeah, they had questions and Paul's writing a letter and they were gonna go take that letter back to Corinth because that was the email or the text message of the day. That's how message got through. But while they were there with Paul in Ephesus, they were part and they were encouraging Paul. And Paul said they were helping me. What I love is when you look at these names, Stephanus, who is a man, the Bible says that it recognizes by his name, he was a man of influence and leadership. He had wealth. We know he had wealth because his name meant crowned. He also, we also know he had wealth because Achaicus was his slave. Now, this is not slavery as we're used to it in early American culture. Total difference, different form of economy and different things of working. But he had someone who was, who was a servant of his, who was like the, the butler, the maid who came alongside. It wasn't someone he owned, but someone who was his person to serve. He goes with this person and he now serves with Paul, how many know it's pretty interesting that a man of influence stoops down to serve? Here it is, Stephanus, he has position. And then you've got Fortunus, who is a part of the group. And Fortunus, his word means this, a freight. It means to carry. It means to, to, to bring. It's like having shared resources. And so people that carry us are people who humble themselves to come, to pick us up. I love to say humility and even submission it's not when you bow at someone's feet, but it's when you bow down to put someone on your shoulder. It's not when you bow at someone's feet, it's when you put someone on your shoulder so that you can help them to get further where you are. It's not bowing down, it's not groveling, it's not diminishing yourself, it's not speaking less, it's putting someone on your shoulder and helping them to reach a new place. And this is what these individuals did. One was one who helped share resources. And then you've got, of course, Archaicus, who is the slave and simply just represents loyalty. And this loyalty of someone who is walking along with him and helping Paul in the process, he's got someone who humbled himself, somebody who shared his resources, and somebody who remained loyal. God help us to be that, to be carriers. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter six, bear one another's burdens. For this doing so, this is how we will fulfill the law of Christ. We can't fulfill the law of Moses because we're not good enough. Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses, and guess what he did? He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. We could not fulfill the law of Moses, but he made it possible for us to fulfill the law of Christ. 
Can I say that to you again? We cannot fulfill the law of Moses, but he made it possible for us to fulfill the law of Christ. You know what I pray we can do? I pray we can be people who, you've heard this term before, you know, shove it down someone's throat. You know what I'm talking about, right? They're shoving it down my throat, whether it's Christianity, whether whatever it's shoving it down my throat. You know what? The core of discovery are a team of people that we're not shoving it down people's throat, but we're calling it out of them. We're calling it out of them. You know, I don't have to shove it down your throat. God already put it in you. I just want to come and be an encouragement and help draw it out of you. What if my life was to come alongside other people and not to convince them they need to change their way, but to convince them that God loves them, God knows them, and God created him in their image, and I just need to help pull out what God already put in them. Does that not change the perspective? Now instead of I've got it and I need to give you what I've got, and I think that's how we look at evangelism too often, and that's not evangelism. Evangelism is not you need what I have. Evangelism is you need to experience what I experienced. The one who has created me in his image has made me come alive, and I want to come alongside, and I want to help it come out of you. What if our job was to be discoverers of the greatness of what God wants to do in one another? Oh, my goodness. What if our job as the church was to see one another and to see each other? Greg, I want to see God bring the greatness out of you. Carrie, Bill, Christy, Patty, I want to see, I want to see God bring the great, you say, oh, that's your, you have a passion. No, 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 no. I'm talking about what if we, the body, saw one another from the, hey, let's be the core of discovery and let's walk through a great door of opportunity and let's discover God in a whole new place and watch God do something altogether new in our day and in our time. What if we discover the blessings, the favor, the wonder of our God? This is our hope. How many of you say, I want to go on a journey like that? I want to go on a journey of discovering, exploring the greatness of our God. We want to challenge you. So here's the challenge. To go on a 21-day prayer journey. You say, oh my goodness. I promise you, this is like the easiest thing you could do. For 21 days starting tomorrow, you find one prayer partner. You ask that prayer partner how you can pray for them. And for 21 days, you pray for them. And as you pray for them, you ask God and you receive from God what God wants to share with them. Not mysteries, not how they should, you know, what job they should take. Not, not, no, 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 no. I mean the encouragement of this is what I feel God wants you to know. He loves you. He's for you. Don't worry. Don't fear. God, I wonder, I believe that if we did that for someone else, it would teach us. And I'm guaranteed, this is a hundred percent guarantee. If you take a journey to get invested in someone's life, you will end up being at a whole new level and having a whole new perspective and a whole new area of seeing God at work. Because when you intentionally look for God to work in other people, how many know he's already there? He's already doing it. We just got to see it and we just got to pull it out. If we learn how to pull it out, guess what it's going to do? It's going to equip us to see our world, to see it as discovery. It's not a threat of what's against us. It's the opportunity of what God has for us. Why don't we join a core of discovery and call out the greatness Find a prayer partner. What's your challenge today? Who are you going to pray for or pray with over the next 21 days? 
You don't have to get together every day. It's just every day you send them a text message of encouragement. And then once a week you get together with them to meet either in person or on the phone. And you just pray for them. You pray together briefly. You pray out loud. I know for some of us, that's gonna be a big deal. Guess what? You're gonna have to leave some comfort zones to step into a new discovery. You're gonna pray together. And you ought to be in relationship with somebody. It's like, hey, we may not be good at this, but I don't know how you can fail at praying when you're asking God to do great things. I mean, how do you fail at that? What's the wrong way to ask God for good things? I mean, maybe the wrong thing is, now you know what to do, so give it to me because I deserve it. That's wrong, okay, don't do that. But to just ask of God, there's no wrong way. What if you took 21 days and you got to a place to see something like you've never seen before and watch God do something build up in somebody else? I can tell you what, it will change how we see our world. It'll change how we see Fayette County. It will change how we walk through the door of opportunity that God has for us. So I wonder if there's anybody willing to take a 21 day challenge. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a prayer partner. I would challenge you, encourage you to be, you know, some guys, another guy in the church, ladies, another lady in the church. If it's your spouse, if you say, well, I'm only comfortable starting my spouse. The, I don't wanna give you the easy out, but okay, you better, yeah, just start somewhere. And let's walk into what God has for us. Because here's what I believe, that God is still blessing, God is still pouring out his favor, and God is still doing great things in his church, and he has greater things he wants to release. How many believe that today? So would you stand with me? And we're gonna sing this song that's become familiar to us, and it's a song of the Lord bless you. But as we sing this today before we leave, would you sing it over the person you're gonna commit to pray for, over your community? Would you declare the blessing and the favor of God, and let's explore what God has.